And um, like usual, it is a Wednesday and it's after two o'clock, which means we go over and join Cruz McCalligan for her audio column. And today her chosen subject, because I played Mr. Postman, is stamps. Good afternoon to you, Cruz. Hello, good afternoon, Sadia. And how are you today? I am very well. I am, it's not as hot as it was yesterday. Yesterday, I asked my phone, I said, hello, Google, what is the temperature in Hong Kong? And they said, the temperature in Hong Kong is 32 degrees Celsius, but due to the humidity, it feels like 38. <laughs> and I thought, too right it does. It does. <laughs> I know. It was a hot, hot day. Yes, it was indeed. And, um, it was a hot, hot day. So what were you doing? Were you, were you kind of playing with your stamp collection or something? <laughs> or what were you I did to? not have a stamp collection, but <laughs> I actually needed to post a letter, which I haven't done for a long time, actually, and I realized that, and I was looking for stamps, and I thought, where am I, I don't even have, do I even have stamps? And then I got stamps, and I found some stamps in the back of a drawer, and I thought, are these even the right stamps? Is this the right amount of money? What if it doesn't get to where it needs to go? It was just posting something contractual in Hong Kong, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, is this, I just felt so out of touch with the whole thing. And then, um, and then I was kind of like, I don't know, just kind of a bit sort of philosophical about it, as obviously I get about these sorts of things and I reflect on my, on my days. And, um, you know, I heard someone kind of describing what travel is like at the moment with quarantine and stuff in Hong Kong and things like that. They were like, you know, it's like the snail mail of travel, right? That, you know, things just take longer to get to. You know, you, it's like once upon a time when you wanted to travel overseas, you had to get on a large ship or a train and it would take you many months to get to where you wanted to go. <laughs> And in a way, we've kind of had a taster of that with everything just sort of slowing down because of COVID-19. And it made me think about stamps and postage. And I thought, you know, it's this funny thing where I need this letter to get to a place by a certain time. And I just have trust that I'll put it into a box, that someone will come and take it. They'll be able to read my scrawly handwriting and they will take it to where it needs to go, (laughs) you know. And I just kind of, it was kind of like this mind-blowing idea. But then I also sort of thought back a little bit to the fact that I, I actually, when you receive posts from somebody, do you receive a lot of posts? Not a lot, really. It's usually more official things that come through, you know, like from the Inland Revenue and stuff like that. No, I mean, you know, I think people have stopped um, posting letters and things. And it used to be lovely to get a, a birthday card and a postcard. But now everything is is online, isn't it? So it's not the same. Yes, it's not quite the same. And we have a very dear family friend who is unbelievably good at sending cards for every occasion, for every birthday, for, for Valentine's Day, for anniversaries. She, she's amazing. And it actually lights up our letterbox because you get something that isn't a piece of post from Inland Revenue Department. Um, and it just made me realize this idea of like, you know, the, the whole stamp concept of just like you put something in the corner of a piece of post and it's going to go where it goes. And I just realized, you know, back in the day, now we're so insecure. You send someone a WhatsApp message and if it doesn't have the two ticks or, or have they <laughs> read it, talking. have they not read it? I need to know if they've received it immediately. I know. You know, I've even had people I'm WhatsApping before, not even people I know well, maybe people I'm doing a transaction with, buying something with a client from work who said to me, I can see you online. So why aren't you replying? You know, 
and um, I just keep thinking like how far we've come that now we're so good at just we're so connected so easy to mm. pick up a phone and talk to somebody in a different country in a split second that like where is where does the post come into it but then at the same time there's a feeling when you see a piece of handwritten post with a stamp in the corner it makes you happy it makes you happy yeah. it does you think someone actually sat down especially if it's got handwriting in it you know someone sat down that somebody somebody wrote this with their own hand you know like they took some time they would have had to focus on what they were doing to get this to me they would have had to find a stamp mm. which i now realize is quite a challenge when you haven't used one in a while so i thought that's these are all the reasons i've been thinking about stamps today sadia i've been feeling a little bit nostalgic for a time that i wasn't even a part of <laughs> and um, I, this is the other thing I was remembering is um, I think my daughter went and did like a sent herself a letter home from school. They mm. went to the letterbox downstairs and they they learned about how the post goes, you know. And it was quite charming because I thought, you know, there's something weird about thinking about how my young children know how to operate iPads or will have to have a school email account one day, right? But then at the same time, they're learning about the post. And I remembered when I was little. And I went to, um, in Hong Kong, and we went to the post office and sent ourselves a letter. And I remember the letter arriving home that said, you know, to Cruzanne at the time, McAllister, you know, and then my address. And I remember my parents going, Cruz, you've got a letter. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was kind of nonchalant <laughs> about it. And they were both like, who's? Who sent you a letter? <laughs> and I never told them it was it was me. I sent myself a letter from school. <laughs> but it was just quite it's quite there's something quite endearing and I don't know, lovely about it. So we thought we'd have a little bit of a look at this. So okay. firstly, Philately, which is the proper term for the studying of stamps and stamp collecting, was um, coined in 1865 by someone who may have been the first stamp collector, a man called Georges Herpin. And he created this word from the ancient Greek philo, meaning love of, and atelia, meaning um, without tax. And of course, because the ancient Greeks didn't have postage stamps, there was no proper Greek word for it. But this, um, this is a quite an interesting idea. So this is what we think about. Do you collect stamps? No, no, not at all. I don't think I ever have. I've probably found it too boring to tell you the yeah, truth. I just yeah. couldn't do it. I know. I think it, I feel like that as well. But um, but the more I look into it, the more I'm like, some people take it really, yeah, really seriously. Absolutely. And there's some very expensive stamps out there. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to get on to some of the most expensive soon because mm. it's pretty fascinating. But the thing is, postage can reveal more than just the history of the letter. It can reveal the entire history of a nation. So like there's the National Postal Museum, which has been going for about 20, 30 years at this point in time. And they talk a lot about how every ta stamp tells a story, right? And it's really fascinating. Um, there's a book called A History of Britain in 36 Postage Stamps, which tells a story of the stamps and of Britain because obviously a lot of the things happening in history are recorded on stamps. Are recorded yeah. on stamps. Yeah. And so the first stamp that we have is um, that we know of is called the Penny Black which bears the image of Queen Victoria. But the first British Postal Service did not originate in Victorian England. So in 1680, an entrepreneur by the name of William Dockra started a public service that guaranteed the quick delivery of a letter anywhere in London. And it's quite, like you have to say, like that's quite, it would have been quite a revolutionary concept at the time, wouldn't it? Because before then, I guess, I mean, obviously we weren't around then, but, you know, the idea of having to get word to somebody or pass a message to somebody would have seemed pretty cumbersome. So he had this 
um, the system that he developed in London, and this was quickly nationalized um, with him in charge. And it was far from a perfect system. This is what I always think. I think the number of times something would have, a letter would have gotten lost, you know, like it just seems so um, frivolous and I don't know, it just seems it would have been impossible. But there were so many things going on at this period in history. Yeah, How, yeah. Why is someone going to hold on to a piece of paper all day? Um, but anyway, but the point was, um, it made it was actually very expensive to send a letter at the time, and the worst part was the recipient was expected to pay. Um, so, as you might imagine, that presented some problems because either people weren't home or they flat out refused to pay for the letter that was coming. And of course, there was obviously blatant corruption in the system, and it just didn't work, and it remained in place for far too long. So there was all these sorts of things that, like, someone tried something. This chap William tried something, but it didn't really work. About 50 years later. There was an ambitious polymath named Roland Hill who thought he could do better. So he ran a progressive school for which he also designed a central heating system, a swimming pool, and an observatory. So he was quite an accomplished dude, this guy. And his, his skills weren't just about kind of architecture and things like that. He was also a painter, an inventor, an essayist. He was quite like a remarkable kind of guy. And um, one of um, his most famous pamphlets, which was on post office reform, its importance and practicability. <laughs> sounds um, like a adorable. lovely pamphlet, that. Yes, it sounds like a delightful pamphlet. <laughs> he argued for abolishing the postal tariffs and replacing them with a single national rate of one penny, which would be paid by the sender. It's like, wow, that's actually quite a good idea. Um, but the post office ignored his idea, so he published an essay, and it quickly gained ground among the public, because they were like, actually, that's a really good idea, an obvious idea. I'm wondering why we didn't do it before, but it's a pretty good idea. And then he was summoned by Postmaster General Lord Lickfield to discuss postal reform. And during their meeting, the two of them, they actually like sat down in this meeting. And I th again, I think this is such a quaint idea that there was a point in time where two people were in a room thinking about an adhesive label that could be applied to an envelope to indicate payment. Like, you know, like mm -hmm. had to think of the concept of a stamp. Mm -hmm. And though it gained um, momentum with the public who really wanted sort of an affordable way to connect with distant friends and family, officials weren't convinced and they called it kind of like preposterous and like you know this is ridiculous and how could we possibly make this work and all that kind of stuff and then but the thing is that this guy hill um roland hill who invented the first stamp he was far from alone in his passion for reforming it and he eventually earned support from other people um and powerful organizations to convince parliament to implement his system which is again like just adorable to think about someone being so passionate about postage like that and it was so important that that happened and it paved the way for so many things in 1839 he held a competition to design all the necessary postal paraphernalia and the winning stamp entry depicting a young queen's profile came from one man called William Wyon who based the design on a medal he had created to celebrate her first visit to London earlier that year so already with the first stamp ever we see this kind of moment in history type mm. idea being captured. Yeah. And now um, they work together with an artist to refine the portrait and develop the stamp's intricate background pattern. Um, and after deciding to produce the stamps through line engraving, they then found some line engravers. Like it was quite an involved process. There was artists and designers and line engravers, all for this one little stamp. And the penny black stamp, 
So remembering it was it was mainly black. If you imagine like black, you could look it up online, obviously, but black with a white silhouette of Queen Victoria's yes, head. And yes. it was called the Penny Black because it was remember. cost a penny and it was black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it went on sale the May the 1st, 1840. And it was a huge hit. And it was like suddenly the country just seemed smaller. Can you imagine? It's like... I guess in modern times, this is what we've had with like things like WhatsApp or email. Yeah. Suddenly, everything is just smaller and closer and easier. Um, and over the next year, like just in one year from that first stamp going on sale, 70 million letters were sent. Gosh. So from 1840 to 1841. And two years later, the number had more than tripled. Wow. So, I mean... Well, somebody did about, well with it. <laughs> totally, totally. And um, other countries soon followed suit. Um, you know, the Penny Black's design was so well received, it actually remained in use for 40 years. Wow. Um, it had some color changes, and they, like, you know, had some perforations or some, like, frilly bout, like, frames for it or whatever. Um, but, you know, most of the time, it was pretty, ama- it was pretty amazing that it, it lasted that long. Um, so, yeah, so the idea that, you know... Um, this this little invention someone came up with became pretty much an overnight huge hit and totally revolutionized the way people connect with each other is amazing. Um, I also was trying to look into um, why we put stamps on the upper right corner of envelopes. Yeah, yeah, because there's a set thing. We've always done that, haven't we? I mean, I don't think anyone's put it on the other side. Is that is that what, what's the reason then? Yeah, well, apparently the answer is very utilitarian. The location of the stamp was decided because at the time, over 80% of London's male population was right-handed, and this and it was believed this would exped- expedite the, the postmarking cancellation, but it was just faster to just stick it there. Okay. okay. So, yeah, so it's like, it's a, but it's a convention we've obviously followed through with mm. um, till today. And actually, I don't think I can recall any getting any letter in the post where there wasn't a stamp on it, And the it's probably right taught to people, right, from the start, from writing letters, and they say, make sure you put the stamp on that side. Um, you know, so it's a kind of done thing now, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and the other thing I love about it is it's this little, okay, so if you think about, like, back in the day, back in the day far beyond me or you, Sadia, but a long time ago. And you think that, you know, we only have so many. Today, we're bombarded with messaging and content and ideas and marketing and advertising everywhere we look. But, you know, in terms of like creating kind of a national brand, um, you think about somebody, most homes, like a few, you know, probably at least a decade after the stamp came out. No, no, not a decade after, like probably more than that, about 50 years afterwards, that you've got um, the ability to put something through people's letterboxes, an image, right, that would say something, right? You, you're capturing attention to people. And uh, stamps, a stamp is, has been a way for many countries to express their identity and their ambitions. So it's quite amazing. Like, And there's a few countries that have really understood this, um, this kind of, opportunity, including Czechoslovakia, whose government hired a noted artist and graphic designer to design its stamps, as well as its money and almost every other official piece of paper when the country gained its independence after World War One. So this is quite an incredible idea that you're creating this kind of look and feel to what your country represents or embodies, like this kind of sense of national identity that obviously became incredibly important during periods of conflict and war. You know, like, what are we actually doing any of this for? Who are we? What do we mean in the world? Mm. And something as simple as a stamp 
was something that could have contributed to how people saw that, you know, who are the important people, who are the people making history. Now, I'm not saying all those people deserve to be on a stamp, but who is people, who are people valuing at that time, um, which is quite remarkable, like what things have happened. Um, and I think about that now and I think about like, Hello Kitty stamp collections. <laughs> Do you think like, it's like, it is a commentary on, it yeah, is a commentary yeah, yeah. on our, on our society. For I think sure. you can track back exactly what's going on just by looking at the stamps, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's really, really interesting. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, uh, of course, people do collect stamps, right? Like, they do. And I, and I, can, I, I am not tempted to do so myself, um, but I can understand why people do when you see that they are this tiny little, little inch-long glimmer into a bit of history or significance or something that they do tell these little stories. Um, and so there's a lot of different kinds of people who, um, who collect stamps. Uh, according to the Guinness World Records, the most expensive stamp in the world is the British Guiana 1C Magenta. Okay, so this particular stamp was sold in New York on the 17th of June, 2014. So this is quite recent history, I suppose. I mean, not super recent, about eight years ago. But if we think about that, like, you know, that's not, this is modern times. 2014, we have email, we have phones, we have Apple, we have all this sort of stuff. So, what, you know, people are still interested in stamps. Mm, they are, yeah. And the final selling price oh, of the stamp was a billion times <laughs> the original face value of the stamp. It sold for £5,588,577. Wow. My goodness. <sighs> Can you well, even imagine, Sadia, something yeah. that small? Well, I hope somebody tiny. didn't use it on an envelope or anything like <laughs> that, I think. Yeah. Oh, my You'd gosh. Hope so. Yeah. Um, so it's quite, it's quite an incredible idea that, like, this tiny thing would have that kind of significance to it. I mean, it just terrifies me because I guess the only other things we think about having that amount of value for size would be like diamonds or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, mm -hmm. that you can hold the, the entire cost of a building. But there are so many collectors. In your hand. Yeah, yeah, there are so many collectors, I'm sure, you know, who've got incredibly expensive stamps and people are on the lookout for it as things happen, you see. So, mm. yeah. I wish I'd it's started. Quite, <laughs> I know. I, I think it. I, yeah, I think it's quite interesting. Um, but yeah, so they um, they've also. But people have gotten quite creative with them. I think that's the thing. You've got this tiny little window of opportunity to be creative, to make an impact on somebody who's looking at a piece of post. And I think we do look at stamps. Like I'm trying to think about it myself, and I'm like, I always do look at stamps when I get a piece of. Post, yes. especially if it's from overseas especially at Christmas time there's some lovely stamps that go around which are especially for Christmas and they're, they're all very pretty usually aren't they oh yeah absolutely and then there's all those kind of limited edition ones again as mm. I said Hong Kong has quite a good stamp collecting community I've always thought that when I've gone into Hong Kong post offices you know they do our, our little post office um, well not a little post office but our postal service in Hong Kong who are very professional, but they always have like collectibles and things like that, and they're popular. People, people love them. Um, uh, it, interesting things some other people have done. Uh, in Bhutan, in 1973, they issued a stamp that could play their national anthem if you put it on a record player. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
Um, in 2013, Belgium issued stamps that smelt and tasted of chocolate. Oh, that sounds nice, yeah. It does sound nice. Yeah, you'd be licking the stamp all the time, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, although I was thinking about that. I was like, with COVID-19, yeah, that's like, a bit risky. I found some, yeah, it's a bit risky to lick a stamp. I was mm. like, I wonder if people have been licking stamps. Is that something people have stopped doing? I think they've like, stopped now. There's always these little kind of spongy pads now oh, yes, in, um, yeah. in post offices and stuff. Mm. Yes, that's so true. They are. And then they've just got sticker stamps that you just stick. It's a sticker. You can just yep. <laughs> stick it as well, of course. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there's all these different things that we can see in terms of, like, the history of different people and how stamps can um, can capture this. And then they have that kind of longevity. And I guess that's why collectors are really into stamps as well. Um, it's this kind of understanding of a significant uh, certain events experienced by different nations the way that we choose to way that countries represent themselves through their stamps as well because it's not just local these things are going overseas and mm. they have an impact so even though they face a bit of an uncertain future as we move increasingly towards digital means of communication um i don't think we're ever going to be able to completely get rid of snail mail no probably. we can't all the postmen and uh, bright has just sent a message to say that in the 60s and 70s the postmen or the milkmen were the ones who would help Help you if you were in trouble. So bringing those letters to you to your front door, or unlocking, or climbing over the gate and opening a door for you, opening a window or whatever. So it shows oh, wow. you that they also had a role. And it was a friendly postman who would also tell you about things that are going on in the area to the police or just as local gossip. So thank you for that, Bright. And um, I think we've just about run out of time too now, Cruz. Yes, I can leave you one quote to finish on. Mm-hmm which is by Josh Billings, which says, be like a postage stamp. Stick to one thing until you get there. Brilliant. I shall keep that in mind. Cruz, thank you so much for your audio columns. Um, you'll be back with Noreen next week. Thank <laughs> okay. you, Sadia. All right, Take we'll care. see you then.